But actually, you know, you just look at the Gospels, you look at Jesus, he didn't say to everyone who was sick, who was hurting, you know, God will bring restoration in the end. He didn't say that. He got involved. He tried to bring healing and restoration to people at that moment when he encountered them when they were suffering. Hello and welcome to the Together podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Dan and today I'm joined by Chris. How are you doing, Chris? Yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. We're also very excited to uh, welcome Emma back. She joined us a couple of weeks ago, but she's here again. Emma, hello. Woohoo, hello. Welcome back. Very exciting woohoo there. It was. Emma, I know we, we did this a few few weeks ago as well, but um, now you're going to be joining joining us regularly. Um, how excited are you on a scale of 1 to 10? Okay, I would say maybe a 9. Ooh, okay. that's disappointing. Because I'm really excited, but you know, there's always got to be room for manoeuvre. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, so you're leaving, you're leaving a little bit of space so you can hit an excitement ceiling at some point in the future. Yeah, you don't want to peak too soon, do you? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. It's like a friend I got. He'll like any time I ask him like, "What you rate that album?" He'll, he'll never get a ten. He says, "No, nothing gets a 10. But I'm just like, no. "Why is ten there then? You might as well make Ten's it one too to nine. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I don't know. I, I feel like if there's no ten in the world, you know, we're all just likely to give up because you know <laughs> we, we've got a something's got to hit a ten. Exactly. Well, maybe it depends on the guest for the podcast maybe then it'll be a 10. Emma with your years of listening to the podcast previously which episode would you say has nearly hit 10 most? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point actually and, and from that response I, I 100% believe you've listened to all of them so yeah. you're in a very good place to decide that. <laughs> Great. So, Emma, thank you for joining us. Guys, you'll probably get to meet Emma a little bit more on our Instagram channel at We Are Tear Fund, as she's the expert and the whiz who's going to be bringing you all kinds of content over there. So go have a follow and get to know Emma a little bit better. But today in this episode, we'll be hearing from Natalie, who's also known as the Zero Waste Doc. She spoke to us about juggling her work as a doctor and being an environmentalist, as well as building a platform and so much more. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, to replace Kat's questions, that makes me sad, it's Emma's Dilemmas. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my dilemma today is, would you rather... Never be stuck in traffic again, or never get a cold again. So, I mean, in the current climate, does like (laughs) is COVID included in a cold, or is that something separate? (laughs) That's a pandemic virus. (laughs) I mean, I get colds quite a lot. Like, I think I normally have one at least like at least three times a year, probably. But I've been, I mean, because we've been inside, I've been chilling, like, not, no problems for the last few months. <laughs> Traffic, on the other hand, I am frequently running late to things. And there's nothing worse than, like, running late. And whether you're on a bus, whether you're in a car, just, like, being, sitting in traffic and just knowing that there's nothing you can do, everything's out of your hands. 
Yeah, that is stressful. Although it's quite a peaceful moment sometimes when you're like, <laughs> I actually can't do anything about this. <laughs> and also, if you are running late, you can at least blame it on traffic. Whereas True. if there's no traffic and you're still late, then you've got no reason. But, you know, when you get there, you can be like, oh, traffic was terrible. Really sorry. Yeah, I guess if you choose a traffic one, you have to never tell anyone that this is the secret power you have. Because otherwise, you, have, you never have an excuse ever again. Yeah. <laughs> Still use the stuck in traffic one, even though you can't possibly be stuck in traffic. I think for me, it's difficult. Like, I, I really don't like traffic. I have a hate-hate relationship with the M25. Um, and so for me, not being able to be in traffic ever again would be a huge bonus. And I, the thing is, with never getting a cold again, yeah, that's that's fine. But again, similar to traffic, it's good to have an excuse if you ever need to <laughs> get out of something and similarly if people know you've never you you don't get cold so you yeah. can't be like oh sorry i'm feeling a bit under the weather i've got cold i'll remember that for the next podcast recording <laughs> <laughs> when that excuse comes in yeah sorry yeah i feel like we're getting I've a little cold. insight into your list of excuses <laughs> yeah yeah i mean those are the, the the two in in my list of 17 so i've got a few more to go uh, <laughs> to work through but yeah I think I think I would probably say never be stuck in traffic but what about you Emma? Um, I think I would go with never get a cold again yeah sometimes they linger and that's just not fun at all. It's true. But if you don't get a cold again does that mean you'll never experience VIX? Because <laughs> VIX is is the one. Yeah this is true I don't like VIX though. Do you not? No, okay then burns. it's pretty easy for you. I'm a, I'm a big VIX fan. <laughs> Bit of Olbersoil as well. Olbersoil, so, oh, that's my jam. <laughs> yeah. You could just use it if you don't have a cold, though. Like, it's still available to you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that's a little stranger and also maybe borderline kind of addictive behaviour if you're just <laughs> using Vix. Yeah, maybe. Like, and you're 100%. Um, great, so so what's the consensus there? We, Chris, what did you go for? I'm the tiebreaker, aren't I? Um, you are. I think I'm gonna go for never be stuck in traffic again. Yes. I just think, I just think having a cold like it's not the best, but also it's not the worst. And also, like it normally happens when you need to take a break and your body's just like, stop. <laughs> yeah. So it's always a good yeah. time to just stop. That is true. Fair enough. I've been outvoted. Unlucky Emma, but that was a, a superb first Emma's dilemma. So thank you for that. Um, if you're listening at home and want to submit your own response to that, we would love to hear whether you would never be stuck in traffic again or never get a cold again. So head over to We Are Tear Fun on Instagram, drop us a message. We'll probably put that up as a story so you, you can answer, but we would love to know. Do you agree with us? We've gone with never stuck in traffic, but maybe that's just me and Chris. Let's find out. Great. So up next, it's What in the World? Welcome to What in the World, where we discuss the latest in news and current affairs. Emma, what are we talking about today? Okay, so Eurostar have announced a new direct train from London to Amsterdam, and it's set to run from October the 26th. While travelling during the pandemic is still something to be cautious about, do you think this is a sign for a greener future for the travelling and tourism industry? Well, I think quite clearly, like, Early on in the pandemic, people were saying because everything was locked down, the skies had cleared up a bit more. There was less, there was less um, greenhouse gases and stuff from planes. So that is a good thing in in itself. Um, mm-hmm. Less damage to the climate. 
But I think it's important to even think though, is is getting the train more expensive or less expensive than getting the plane still? Okay, so I did a little bit of research and apparently, obviously it's not running until the 26th of October, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. But apparently it's £40 one way to get the Eurostar, but you can actually fly to Amsterdam, return for £45. You see, that's the thing. Now, I'm gonna just I'm gonna be vulnerable and honest here. Although I am trying, you know, I feel we have to fight for our climate, we have to fight for our planet. That's quite a, that's a big difference. It is. It's a big difference. And one of them, outside of like the whole thing around Corona, obviously, <laughs> a plane feels quicker, feels if it's cheaper, I don't know. I feel like when like people are saying we've, we've got these more greener options, if they're going to be greener, they also have to be affordable as well. Otherwise, does it even matter? This is true. Although, I was just thinking, you know when you fly on an aeroplane now, like baggage is never included. And sometimes now, not even your hand luggage is included. You have to pay extra. So, on the Eurostar, I think it's all included, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, so maybe, actually, if you, like, added up all the extra bits that you have to add on when you fly, it could work out being the same amount of money. And the flight to Amsterdam, I think, is, like, 45 minutes. Like, it's really quick. So the Eurostar must be pretty quick as well, right? Like, can't be more than two hours. Yeah, I would, I would assume not. I don't know how it really works. I just, I just yeah. get on things and show up in places. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the Eurostar would be better. I think I'd do that. <laughs> I think it's a good option to have, isn't it? But there is, as Chris was saying, there's there's already a, a slightly worrying trend in that if you uh, are trying to be sustainable, you need to have more disposable income to be able mm. to do that. And there's a couple of different areas where that's the case. And so that that really does need to be looked at because you're you're getting in a, into a situation where only the privileged can af- afford to think like that. But at the same time, you know, a lot of us are in a position where it, it might be an inconvenience for a longer journey, but we, we could stretch and there is an extra cost to it. But ultimately, it's better for us to pay that cost than, than the planet pays the cost and um, people living in poverty pay the cost. So it's it's definitely an improvement. And I think on the bigger picture, with everybody staying in the UK more, I think it will be really interesting in the next few years to see if people fall back in love with holidaying in this country mm-hmm. um, rather than than kind of jetting around the world. I saw something really interesting on Twitter. It was someone saying, um, talking about the term staycation and how it's been redefined. And staycation really is is staying in your own house and doing local day trips. Holidaying in the UK is just a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and we've turned it into this thing that needs its own separate definition and you almost need to justify staying in the UK as if like it's a bit of FOMO from not going abroad and all your friends are going abroad and well actually we're going to have this trendy thing called a staycation um <laughs> it's okay to holiday in the UK it is and, nothing uh, wrong with it let's not be bougie yeah let's not be bougie I, I really hope that the the bigger trend is is maybe some people realize that that they can have just as good a time in a week away somewhere in the UK in a, in a hidden gem than, than they can from, from flying across the world. For sure. This is true, but you can drive to a lot of places and depending on where you live in the UK, say if you're like all the way down south but you wanted to holiday in Scotland, the drive there is probably going to be longer than drive to France, right? Yeah, I think you're saying. I think you're right. Yeah, so maybe it's more 
environmentally friendly for you to drive to France or just stay at home. (laughs) (laughs) We had an article uh, a couple of weeks ago on the We Are Tear Fund website, www.wear.tearfund.org, by Sam Rigdon. And he was talking about becoming a local tourist and actually how he spent a lot of time in Wales in the beginning of the, the lockdown. I think he was there for uni and he was having a great time. He was going to the beach like every day and like living it up. So, yeah, I guess it depends where you are as well. Just figure out what's near you. You could have a great holiday destination, like not even an hour away from you. That's so true. I mean, I don't I don't mean to boast, but I live down in Eastbourne and that's right <laughs> on the coast. And so my whole life is a staycation. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> um, not to rub it in or anything. My favourite thing to do during lockdown, even though I'm living in London, was to go for walks along the streets where there's really big houses (laughs) and just wonder who lives there. (laughs) Not stalkerish at all. (laughs) Just staring through the windows. Yeah, that's my version of a beach. (laughs) Great. Well, as with a lot of different things during this time of of pandemic it's good to reset our habits and think differently about how the choices we make impact the climate and impact people living in poverty so hopefully with more train options and also being familiar with staying in the uk and holidaying in the uk um, we can see some sustainable change out of that but now let's check out chris's conversation with natalie My name's Natalie, I am a UK doctor and I'm also a climate activist and I'm active on social media under the handle Zero Waste Doc who's trying to encourage everyone to reduce their own waste and get involved in trying to make our planet a little bit safer for the future. Awesome, that's a lot of great stuff in there, quite a a niche of like crossovers. Yes. (laughs) Um, Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? Did you always know you wanted to do environmentalism? Or was how did that kind of how did those two things come about separately? And how did they cross over? No to both. Um, (laughs) So I realised I wanted to be a doctor sort of near the end of secondary school. Um, we were in doing work experience in year 10 and I was thinking I wanted to be an optician and turned out that to go into a lot of that you need to do a medical degree. So then I was like, well, if I'm doing a medical <laughs> degree, I could just do medicine. Might as well. <laughs> so <laughs> that just kind of started happening and I realised it fitted me quite well, quite sciencey, but I really like engaging with people. And then the environmentalism... I don't know where that came from. Um, Yeah, I really don't. That's definitely something that God put on my heart probably earlier on than I realised it was on my heart and has just been growing since. It's always kind of been the person I am. So have you ever done one of those, what is it, the Myers-Briggs personality types? Yeah, yeah. I am the one that is like a little wizard man called the advocate. (laughs) Um, I cannot remember the letters, don't ask me, but (laughs) it's the advocate. I'm N for GGP or something. (laughs) I think I'm like INF something, I don't know. Um, So that's the advocate, which once I did that, was like, oh yeah, that, that is what I am. I like trying to speak for people who don't feel like they have a voice and actually some of this environmentalism is that yeah and I got involved in it as part of my medical degree I was abroad and I was in India and I was in a really touristy place and it was just being trashed by tourists dropping all their rubbish everywhere Mm. and it made me really aware of how much rubbish I was producing because I was drinking sort of 
bottles of water every day, not knowing really what to do with them. There wasn't yeah. the infrastructure to recycle as there was back home where I was. And I just became really aware that actually I was producing so much rubbish every day. And then I got home and I realised actually it's the exact same problem here. It's not an abroad problem. It's not a tourist problem. Mm. It's, a, it's a human problem. And the difference is in the UK, we can pay people to deal with our rubbish. We pay for street cleaners and the streets look fine every time you go out in the morning, mm. no matter what we do to them. And it made me motivated to see what I could do to try and reduce my waste. And the more my eyes were open to one problem, another 10 questions appeared, another 10 problems yeah. appeared and slowly just became aware of sort of the problems our planet is facing, the problems with the climate, the environment. And it's kind of snowboard into me trying to do my best to tackle them personally, trying to yeah. educate people who were in the position I was a couple of years ago of just really not knowing what was happening. Yeah. But also, I'm a doctor. I have a busy life. A lot of people have very busy schedules and trying to show people that actually no one is limited by their lifestyle and be able to do something. Everyone can try something, can make a difference. Yeah, lots to unpack there. Let's let's kind of start with what you were talking about in terms of just for you personally, mm-hmm. get, getting more aware of this sort of stuff. Um, I think, you know, there's a trend amongst, you know, people that are passionate about social justice uh, that actually, you know, that passion and, and kind of being so aware of everything go, going on around the world can be quite difficult to kind of digest and actually can lead to like quite a lot of burnout or kind of almost like a apathy because like the problem feels so big. How did that kind of work with you? So I don't think it was something I struggled with initially because initially, because I was learning about things, it felt sort of more manageable. Firstly, it just felt like, oh, all I need to do is reduce my waste. That's fine. Mm. And then as you learn more, I think that's when it can get really overwhelming because the thing you thought was the answer to the problem is only a small little part. Mm. And burnout definitely is a problem. And looking at the state of the world and feeling really anxious about what's going on is, to be honest, entirely normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite a problem at the moment. <laughs> um, so I think, for me, my faith is definitely a part of the way that it makes me be able to keep approaching it and not feel too burnt out, mm. knowing that it's not entirely reliant on me to fix the world this is god's creation he loves it it's not the way it was meant to be and ultimately it will be returned to how it was meant to be because of him not because Mm. of me but actually sometimes that's quite a tough place to sit in a chris as a christian but in the here and now saying this is god's creation it's not how it's meant to be Mm. i'm called to try and bring restoration but acknowledging that i can't bring full restoration until he comes again that's a weird tension to be in and sometimes something that actually i still struggle with a bit and i don't think there's a perfect answer to that like a lot of faith things of being in the tension of the now and the not yet yeah well it's interesting because i guess for a lot of christians it kind of the now almost gets skipped sometimes and it's just like Mm -hmm. the not yet yeah. It's kind of like the response to any sort of like injustice or poverty is just, well, God's going to come sort it out someday. So why should we do anything? What exactly. would you say to Christians who do have that sort of perspective? I think that's an understandable perspective to have. And I think that is a view that I had for years. And, you know, 
prayer is amazing and definitely we should all be praying about these things and knowing that God will come. But actually, you know, you just look at the Gospels, you look at Jesus. He didn't say to everyone who was sick, who was hurting, you know, God will bring restoration in the end. He didn't Mm. say that. He got involved. He tried to bring healing and restoration to people at that moment when he encountered them when they were suffering. Mm. He didn't wait until we have a new heaven for them to be made whole again. And I think that's what we need to replicate understanding that yes it's not going to be perfect until god comes again but if we're called to be like christ it means we need to intervene and love our neighbor in a very tangible way now when people are suffering yeah and so for you would you say that like this core sort of pillar of of justice is this for you core to your to your faith core to your belief in god and your following jesus yeah um not necessarily just environmental justice social justice as a whole um i just I can't look at the example of Jesus and not engage with social justice. It doesn't fit in my view of faith to try and follow the example of someone who was so engaged on a daily basis, trying to make the lives of people better Mm. and not do that as a follower of Jesus. Mm. For me, it just doesn't fit. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And I guess in terms of like going back to what you were saying about busyness, and uh yeah just like finding time to care I guess you know I guess a lot of people would say to you you're a doctor like you're already helping isn't that enough and like I don't I don't know a full doctor schedule but I remember watching (laughs) episodes of Scrubs it looked pretty full-on like for you (laughs) probably probably not very realistic (laughs) compared to your actual job less jokes um, and less songs yeah (laughs) pretty (laughs) full-on So yeah, with that full on like aspect to your life, like why have you decided to like dedicate so much time also to social justice, to environmentalism? I think for me they seem linked, although they seem like two very different things initially. I went into medicine because I wanted to try and make people's lives a bit better. And for me the environmentalism is I'm trying to make people's lives a bit better. There is sort of, in the UK, the climate crisis can seem as sort of an existential future threat, but actually people are suffering the impact from it now. And for me, similar to how my faith doesn't fit without social justice, being a doctor doesn't fit without trying to, in general, make people's lives better. Mm. And there's lots of well-known implications of a climate breakdown of pollution of things like that on health yeah and i can't reconcile being a doctor without at least trying to do something about the bigger problem of the climate yeah no definitely that's that's a great way to put it um so how does that play out then how do you find balance in that tension of like being like completely just like busy being on shifts or whatever and then trying to, you know, do this other stuff, trying to think about the wider implications of what's going around the world. A whole lot of grace. <laughs> um, knowing that I can't do it all by myself, but also I'm not expected to. Knowing that I was called to be a doctor, irrespective of everything else, and being called to the environmental space, that neither one of those is more important, but they mm. are both callings on me. And knowing that, I can do both to the best of my ability, 
with God's strength. And then, you know, when I can't do money more, that's okay too. It's not on me alone. Yeah, that's like, that's really great and really refreshing to hear because there's a lot of conversation about, yeah, like individual responsibility or responsibility of like corporations and governments mm. above us. How can we kind of, uh, with the latter, how can we engage with, you know, trying to make changes on like whole societal levels and economic levels, governmental levels, etc. Yeah, and I think that's really important because actually individual action it does matter, but it doesn't necessarily matter in the way that you think it does. Me reducing my plastic isn't going to make a vast amount of difference on the amount of plastic in the world. I'm just one person. But actually, the way my actions matter is, firstly, they can influence other people. Mm. But they can also be like a thermometer. So they can tell the passions and the interests of a general member of the population for brands and corporations and the government. I do my individual actions so that hopefully companies say, oh, people like her only want to shop with us if we have sustainable packaging. Mm. Oh, she only wants to shop with me if we have an ethical production line and we're paying our workers fairly. Mm. And hopefully my actions mean that my MP can say, actually, she's only going to vote for me if I subsidise public transport and invest in green energy. That's the way individual action matters, not because of really your own individual sort of ecological footprint as it is, mm. but because it can be used as a temperature to get the people who really have the power, so the brands and the corporation and the governments, to pay attention that this is a value of a large proportion of the population and we need to act on it. Yeah. So the way we can do that is not necessarily focusing on directly what's in your bin and all those individual little things yourself, but thinking, if I have the capacity for one action today, what can it be? Yeah. Will it be writing to my MP? Will it be saying, actually, I'm one of the few areas of the country that don't have food waste collection and food waste is a real problem in the UK. Can mm. we just get food waste bins, please? That's a great way that an individual action can actually lead to massive scale change. Yeah, awesome. And speaking of like that influence and trying to build that influence, obviously you started your website in 2017 and I like, was checking out your Instagram profile. was over 51,000 followers at this point. How, uh, what was the reason, obviously, like you said earlier, that you wanted to you know, share, share your, your own journey, but what were your hopes when you started out with the website and how has the journey been up to date? Yes, so I did not plan this. <laughs> this was very much one of those God does and you kind of follow along because it's really exciting to see where he's going to take you. I started Instagram yeah, back in 2017 because I wanted to separate my sort of personal Instagram and my friends and family from all these people I was getting inspiration from to try and reduce my own waste. Mm. And I started sharing pictures just to keep myself accountable, just to motivate my myself to have sort of something to look back on and say actually you know I've made a lot of difference this is great Mm. and God just took it and ran with it (laughs) which has been really exciting to see but also a little bit scary (laughs) I still don't quite know what he's going to do with it long term it's really exciting and terrifying to see (laughs) people I think really resonate with me being a busy person and thinking, oh, I can do this too. 
But mm. I think something that people also resonate with actually is a lot of the characteristics of the Christian faith that I think I try and put across in mm. my posts because they're how I try and live my life. So lots of my posts are trying to be based on concepts like grace and love yeah. and hope in a pretty bleak world. And I think people really resonate with that because faith is attractive and those characteristics mm. are attractive when you're looking at something like the climate crisis, which yeah. feels completely overwhelming. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I think this year has obviously been an example of kind of mm. that overwhelming filming feeling even. Um, and, you know, something like the Black Lives Matter movement had a, yeah. had a similar, like, huge kind of swell of energy. And like you said, you know, had that influence so that actually corporations were starting to take notice and say, okay, we have to change how we're, how we're working yeah. and what we're doing in, yeah. in this space. Uh, have you, like, seen any, many kind of examples of stories of, I guess, how your influence has started to shift the needle in different places? So I think it's it's hard to say because you don't know what is the spark that tips something off. And I think mm. sometimes it's lots of people doing the same thing that have a bigger impact than just one person. I see it sort of on a smaller scale. You do it with your friends. You're doing one little thing like bringing a reusable coffee cup and then mm. a couple of months later all your friends are doing it too, not because you told them to, but just because you modelled it. Yeah. And you were being a good example just by doing it. And I think that's what happens with brands as well. I don't think, although I'm very, I would be very happy to be proven wrong, that sort of they have one letter to the company and suddenly everything changes unless it's a great idea. Mm. But usually it's when there's sort of a swell in momentum and lots of people want a similar thing at the same time. Yeah, but we well before before pandemic at least there was definitely <laughs> sort of it felt like there was a bit more of an uptake in the climate crisis and realizing yeah. that it is a crisis. Um, the Church of England did their Lent appeal this year, which slightly got waylaid halfway through um, yeah. about caring for creation, which was really exciting to see and seeing, you know, the whole Church of England get on board with actually, mm. this is a crisis. This is something we need to respond to as Christians. Mm. And just seeing that brands are responding potentially slowly. Yeah. And it is because more people are starting to care about these things. Yeah, definitely. And it's great just to kind of, like you said yourself, when you look, think about your website, to look back and see, mm. oh yeah, I was like, I was present in this time as opposed to like looking back and being like, oh, all that change was happening without me. And I kind yeah. of just like joined because I had to. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, there's a great phrase and I have no idea who said it. And it's just like, so I'm like, the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago or today. And I think mm. that's so true about all these social justice issues. You can look back and say, oh, I wish I'd got engaged in the past. I wish I'd taken X, Y and Z opportunity to get involved and that's true and that's fine. But then the second best time to get involved is today. Just get started. Yeah. There's, there's really no great. such thing as too late. You just start. Yeah. So in starting your social media platform and the website, what have, what were some of the difficulties that you encountered on that journey? So I think for me, all of it is just balancing it with a schedule of trying to balance two different passions on top of all the usual things of family and friends and church and trying to work out the balance there, working mm. out how to engage with social media in a way that is faith-filled. Yeah. 
because yeah. that's really difficult and that's a challenge every day and not just even for people who have a lot of followers that's a challenge for everyone <laughs> mm. and trying to manage that in a godly way is I think ongoing still one of the biggest challenges I have yeah and you mentioned earlier that you made a separate a separate profile separate account why was that did you find that you were like I guess had more engagement when it was fully directed at social justice or was it a thing where you where the people that you were talking to you wanted to just get out of that echo chamber yeah so I think for me it was more I started following lots of people who were inspiring me and it was harder just to see what my friends and family were up to on Instagram okay so I wanted them separate so I could still be fully engaged with family and friends around the country and not have them sort of diluted by everyone else I was following for different reasons that's really good to know because I think a lot of the time this when we think about social justice we kind of feel like it's this all-consuming thing Mm. with our lives and even though it quite clearly is for you like like you said you know you use pretty much every waking hour (laughs) trying to help the world in some way but giving yourself that space to say well this is just where I want to talk to my friends and family that seems like quite an important thing to do definitely yeah you you need to have a place where you can switch off uh especially i think social justice issues but a lot of the world's problems are overwhelming and you need to have a space that is okay for you to decompress Mm. where it's okay for you just to be yourself where you don't need to try and put the words to right you can just have some fun chatting to your friends your family being the sort of quieter version of yourself and knowing that you're not performing because I think a lot of social media can be especially Mm. when you have a lot of followers and you're trying to show a kind of lifestyle that is inspiring to others it's it can be a performance and not necessarily even in a bad way you're putting forward inspiration for a reason but Mm. sometimes you just want to be yourself and having a space where you can do that in social media and your sort of regular everyday life is really important yeah great advice is there is there any other tips that you would have for if someone's listening to this interview and they are thinking actually yeah I want to build up my own platform to kind of share what's on my heart share what issues that I'm invested in what advice would you give to them I think try and work out what your motivation is because it's really easy to be distracted by the numbers, to think I need to have a certain amount of followers. And sometimes that can be useful. Obviously, the more followers you have, potentially, the more people you're reaching, the more influence you have. But it's not necessarily true. You can have a small number of people who follow you who are really engaged and really motivated to make change. And actually, that could be more powerful than having thousands of followers. But also knowing that we're living in a world where God's in control. So he can do anything with anything. So you could have 10 followers and you could have some amazing opportunities. Mm. Or you could have a million followers. And if it's something that God is not blessing, that God does not want you to do, you're probably not going to get the opportunities. So trying Mm. to think, why do I want to do this? Is it because I'm trying to seek significance for myself? Or is it because you're trying to speak from your God-given significance out to the world? 
if it is something that God is calling you to do, that he has given you gifts and blessed you with to give and serve to other people, go for it. But if you want to do it just for the numbers, just for the fame, then potentially that might not be the best place for you because it's so easy on social media to be overcome by likes and numbers Mm. and all those things that give you sort of worldly significance but not godly significance that's a word i love that so yeah i mean moving on this year's obviously been a tough one for a lot of people (laughs) all around the world you being a doctor as well obviously plays a big part into that how have you found 2020 the year of corona oh it's it's been an interesting one hasn't it (laughs) (laughs) um yes it's been a roller coaster I am lucky I work in obstetrics and gynecology so that's pregnant ladies Mm. which hasn't been as badly affected as other areas of medicine but we still dealt with lots of staff being off sick lots of uncertainty whether we were going to be pulled out of our training posts and have to go Mm. help in intensive care and things like that and that has been really unsettling things for us I think went back to normal a little bit sooner than other places but still things aren't fully back to normal Mm. our daily jobs aren't back to normal there's a whole load more boxes you need to tick and things you need to step through I'm constantly wearing a mask for nine hours every day at work which really makes it really difficult to communicate you don't realize how much of your communication is non-verbal and smiling at someone like you can't see someone's eyes smile unless they're doing a proper grin and there are lots of times at work when I do a smile but I wouldn't properly grin at someone because I would look a little bit (laughs) a little bit a little bit wild (laughs) and that's just so many things have been a learning curve and Mm. it's we're going to end this year with a whole load more skills and appreciation for what life was like before 2020 came yeah Definitely. I mean, we've all got to be practicing our smiles and skills. Yeah. Now, smiling with your eyes. Yeah. As, as coined by Miss Tyra Banks. We stand. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You can just about do it, but you need some practice. <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, this moment has kind of forced everyone to think, like you said, like normal doesn't really exist anymore. Mm. And I think I've seen a shift in that society as a whole, like a global society has moved from thinking about health individually to think about like community health and how others are doing. Do you think that's had an impact on how we're approaching social justice issues now as well? Do you think there's more of a global solidarity? I don't know, honestly. Um, I would love it to be. That would be brilliant. Imagine if we came out of 2020 and said, you know, that was horrific, but we've really pulled together as a global community and we're in this place where we have the skills to tackle a global climate crisis. A bit of me is not worried, but thinks that potentially we might not be able to just because of what this pandemic has done. Um, Mm. There is, there's this like hierarchy of basic human needs and you basically need to achieve your basic needs before you can move on to more complex ones. So your basic Mm. needs being food and water, then social security, so housing, then things like health, social structures, friends and family, Mm. and financial security. And this pandemic, we don't know when it's going to be over. We don't know what, It's going to be like two, five years down the line living Mm. in this time and we've gone into a recession. So as much as I would, and I 
really hopeful that we will see sort of green recovery come out of Corona. Mm. If we have people who don't know whether they're going to be able to put food on the plates of their family because they've lost their jobs. If we have people who have lost loved ones, who are concerned about their health in a new way because they're shielding, Mm. people who don't know how they're going to be able to pay their rent at the end of the month, then actually we can't really expect those people to be pulling together and having the mental capacity to think about the global climate crisis. Yeah. So I think it then falls on the people who potentially do have a bit more capacity to make sure we are committed to actions that do have those big impacts. So engaging the people who have the power, the brands, the corporations and the governments Mm. to come out of Corona and the pandemic in a way that is constructive to have a financial recovery plan that supports the climate and doesn't exploit it. To thinking of how can we make everyone financially secure in their homes, but have homes that are green and sustainable Mm. and things like that. I think it's going to be really challenging. And I think we can go one way or another. And I'm really hoping that actually on the sort of government scale, that the recovery plans that are put in place will support the environment. But I think they'll only do that if there is the will of people saying, actually, no, this is important to us. We need to pull together. Yeah, definitely. I think that really speaks into uh, something that we're doing at We Are Tier Fund at the moment, a a campaign called The World Rebooted, where we're taking time to imagine what could the world look like Mm. if we, like you said, built back better, built back greener. Uh, For people who are kind of like, I guess, like you said, the ones who are capable to have that time to think about that stuff, what kind of directions would you push them to in order to engage, like you said, in order to uh, advocate to government and to corporations, etc.? Yeah, so for people living in the UK, there's different levels of government you can get involved in. You have your local MP, who is meant to work for you. <laughs> Slightly variable what that looks like. But you also have local councillors. It's not just your local MP. And there are lots of different ways to get engaged with local politics and sometimes it feels like that's potentially not going to make a big difference because that's not the whole UK but local government is often where the change starts and then it's taken to national government Mm. lots of local MPEs and local councils declared climate emergencies before the whole UK government thought Mm. about it and that was because of pressure from local constituents saying we need to do something different And actually, lots of these ideas for like the green recovery plans, such as investing in green local transport, sort of community based services such as Internet and green energy, actually are much more easily implemented at a smaller local level. Mm. So writing to your local councillors, emailing them, to be honest, even tweeting them some MPs are all over Twitter, is a great way. You don't know if that one tweet or email or letter you send is going to be sort of the tipping point of enough people who have said it or you said it in just just the right way to appeal to them to make a difference. And I think that's what we need to do. And we say that sort of voting is one of the best things you can do. Voting doesn't actually come about every four years and it Mm. doesn't even come about with your local MPs every year. It comes about every day 
what you choose to spend your money on, whether you're supporting mm. big multinational companies who maybe don't pay as much tax as they should, or whether you're supporting small, independent local businesses who are taking that money and putting it back into your local community, whether your action is to write an email while you're watching a Netflix episode. All these little things are ways that you can vote on a daily basis. Such a good challenge to leave us with. Natalie, if people want to find out more about what you do and what you're what you're working on, where can we find you? So the best place to find me is on Instagram and I'm under zero waste doc spelt D-O-C all is one word. Great to hear from Natalie there. What stood out for you both? Um, I love this. I think she speaks so well. Um, I loved what she was saying really honestly about how when you kind of get involved in um, activism and trying to make the world better, once you do one thing, you're like, oh yeah, I've done one thing. But then you realise that there are so many other things to do. Um, And that can kind of cause a bit of burnout because you're just constantly going back again and realising, oh no, there's another thing I need to do, another thing I need to do. And you can just feel like it's a bit overwhelming and that you're not really making a difference at all. But I love the point that she made about how actually, as Christians, we know that this is God. God's creation so it's actually up to him and ultimately we can play our part and we can take action but we can have faith in God that also he is also taking care of his creation and he just wants us to be a part of it so it kind of avoids that um, mentality of just sit back and watch God and let him do everything but actually also taking action but not getting overwhelmed I really enjoyed that. Yeah, for me, I I really like what she said about the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago or today. And so it's important for us to just get started. It's similar to something I've heard before in terms of, um, you know, best moment to start something was a month ago. The second best moment is right now, because we can often say, oh, we've missed that opportunity to do something, whether it's, uh, you know, social justice or even just learning something or trying something new. But we can let that prevent us from getting started at all. So... I I was really encouraged by that and just remembering like today in this moment is an opportunity to change and to start something and don't let the fact that you haven't started already get in the way of doing something today. 100% and I I love how she was talking about the importance of the importance of us taking actions but also remember that it's not literally our individual action that is like changing the world so like me not using plastic for one week is not going to like stop our rubbish problem but what it does do is it one number one role models that behavior to other people and says look this is what i'm doing because i care and once other people start to do that and there's actually grows a community of people doing this stuff and living ethically actually it kind of works as a thermometer to the people that can make the bigger decisions so whether it be the government whether it be corporations once enough people start saying you know what this is how we want to help our planet this is how we want to how we all want to move then they have no choice but to say okay we'll we'll give into that so yeah i love what she was saying about i think the whole time she was very balanced and just being like god is like the author of this but be involved your individual action matters but it makes more sense on a grander scale brilliant that's a great place to wrap up this episode thank you for joining me today and thank you to those who listened in we'll be back on the 28th of september with another episode so if you like what you heard today make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on instagram at we are tear fund <laughs>